Maximus. It's a Transformers podcast that sneaks up behind other Transformers podcasts, shoots with the back, and calls it justifiable homicide. First, we came for the underbase. Joining me in this legislating murder, at least of the English language, are two mighty fine people. First of all, a man with a brand new sofa, Tom. I thank you very much. I am enjoying the new sofa. And a lady who has just come back from a America, where she went from state to state looking for anybody who appeared as if they might have owned a getaway toy as a child and punching them, Marion. Hello. And we are here to talk about the most recent uh, sort of three-part story from Transformers, more than ETI, as you might have guessed from my clever altering of a title of a podcast to Rodpod. Issues 47 to 49, uh, which is basically getaway is a git as is Freud, Freeparter, that's what I like to call it, uh, which uh, sort of, was sort of an unexpected Freeparter, wasn't it? I don't think we uh, realised beforehand the three issues were going to f- flow into each other quite that much. No, it was not marketed as a three-parter. What I love about 47 it is it has the most brilliant story so far recap. I've shown you both of a video, even though nobody at home will be able to see this. Um, the story so far recap, ever, where it's oh, just the, the tailgate getaway cyclone, the triangle, that's a... I approve of that sort of thing. I like that, um, that I guess Roberts is clearly writing all these kind of supplementary bits and pieces, the solicitations and the story so far. And yeah, I can add in the occasional bit of actual design. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really like the, uh, the Nick Roche cover, um, the Wuthering Heights world one. Oh, when he's in space. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. This is the Transformers comic that is basically about a love triangle, which I don't think anyone would have expected five years, well, even into the early run of a comic, I don't think anybody would have quite expected a sort of issue that was sold on the fact it's the resolution of who Tailgates is going to go out with. I suppose, yeah, if you kind of if you squint a bit, maybe uh, the bit, the, the old story, the salvage, where Megatron is torn between uh, his devotion to killing Optimus Prime and the antagonism, the possessiveness of Straxus on his mind. But uh, yeah, yeah, we, 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 we can be blessedly up more literal these days. So I don't think we've talked about any of the issues that have covered uh, the tailgate stuff. So what did we think of uh, Cyclonus tailgate getaway triumulative uh, before this? Other than the very beginning of season two, I never really saw this as a triangle because getaway had always been on the dodgy side so i'd never considered it um a straightforward love triangle story but i guess maybe tailgate did oh yeah i suppose that's the that's the important thing it's just it's it's a a bit ambiguous whether or not cyclonus really regards it as a romance i mean the, the the kind of the line between it being parental versus it being romantic is quite blurry, I think. Mm. On purpose, on purpose. I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, myself, I was in Tom. I wanted it to be more sort of parental, uh, guardian-y sort of relationship. And I think one of the things this book is about is relationships in all their various different forms and the importance of friendship. And obviously we have 
rewind the crowd down pretty much have a whole romance side of things sewn up. So I sort of view this as a different take on a uh, uh, as a more parental figure to tell you. So at least before this issue, which sort of firmly comes down on the side of uh, poor old Cyclonus being a lovelorn puppy, really. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I disagree. I disagree. I think it, it actually maintains the ambiguity. Of course, Getaway is grooming Tailgate in a very yeah, way that, way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very predatory way. But um, yeah, it's a Cyclonus. Very. I, it, it, it is just like he. It, it's. I suppose it is about like him spending time with him more than me. But I think it maintains the idea that that this is. A parental type of relationship uh, you know I'm not saying that's trying to try and defend that that previous conception but I think it kind of adds to it like yeah this is they're, they're very close and intimate but you know one is a lot older than the other but they're both adults tailgates the older one though <laughs> slightly <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think this issue kicks off really really strongly with um, I, first of all, for the, for the record, I, I'm, I'm not too fond of the of the, the speak memory part of this trilogy, but I think this 47 uh, is is peak of powers more than meets the eye. I think like the way it starts off immediately with Getaway's description of his birth, and even though this may be embellished uh, in order to, yeah, to maximize the sympathy, I think all the, the concepts brought up there, the just idea of like my eyes hadn't warmed up yet, and knowing the uh, gravitational field strength of the planet they're on. It, there's are amazing like, science fiction-y details. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, actually, do we think any of this stuff with Getaway really happened? I think, you know, an approximation of it happened? I think so. It's, it's embellished, as Tom put it, and there's a slant to it uh, to make it a sad story about Getaway. But I think, as far as world-building goes, it's accurate. Because there's a mirroring of it in the next issue. Both issues start with somebody talking about their past, where we're unclear about the finer details. Yeah, I, thought, I was also just going to say uh, uh, that uh, obviously he's talking about made to order troops here and this being constructed, which has a rather gruesome parallel right at the end of oh. this art story, where you, which uh, I thought yeah. was quite clever. I read it yesterday, so it's. Because there's some, some of the foreshadowing and ex, set-up exposition in this week, Arter, isn't done very smoothly. There's a couple of dodgy moments later on, which I'll talk about when we uh, get to them. But I thought that was done very uh, very cleverly. Yeah, I hadn't picked up on that. Good spot. Uh, but we also we catch get, Getaway out in, in an outright embellishment later on, where the picture he's painting for Tailgate that we see on panel, uh, there's no sign of Megatron. But later on, he says, you know, ah... Oh, that's Megatron actually killed all those people, and uh, you know, and, and Tailgate's already hook, line, and sinker by that point. So they got very into the uh, uh, the getaway, getting Tailgate drunk stuff, which uh, has been building up for a while and was one of the creepier things Getaway has been doing. Because it hasn't come across as a sort of abusive boyfriend sort of a thing. Uh, and I, a lot of people have complained about this issue, saying that Tailgate was really stupid in it. Uh, and I think they have missed the fact that Getaway has been getting him pissed out of his skull repeatedly for months now, 
and that covers why he felt stupid. He was just not in an even slightly sober state of mind when he was like, oh, it's an anti-villain serum, uh, whatever it was he says later on. Uh, yeah. It is a stupid thing to fall for, but he's also incredibly drunk. Also, people do fall for dumb stuff when they are being manipulated. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not much for the victim blaming in this scenario. I think Telgate is clearly being manipulated by someone who is better at this than him. So just to say, oh, he should have seen that coming, you know. He should have known this would happen. He should have put himself in this situation isn't really the right thing to say. Also, when we've seen Tailgate himself lie and manipulate people, it's so like adorably bad that he, I guess, thinks himself as a canny operator, but really isn't. It's like a real Dun- Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he managed to convince everyone in season one that he was a, a bomb disposal expert. <laughs> uh, yeah, just about everything yeah. under the sun. So. And everybody kind of forgot... Uh, the fact that him doing that nearly got rewind killed. Mm. I, I like that. That's that's echoed in forty eight, where he comes across Rodimus turned inside out. Like, oh, maybe that's a nautical mine. <laughs> Amazing, he got away with it for so long. Uh, I, I I like the the business here with the wrench. I think that's that was set up uh, a little while back, and the way Getaway very conspicuously shows that this is a Ravage detecting wrench when he knows that Ravage will be there. Uh, I, I I like the architecture of that. With his little dog bowl as well. Who puts his dog bowl out? Is I guess Swerve. Swerve would have. Oh, it's in uh, Mirage's bar. Oh, oh yeah, they're in, they're in Mirage's. Did, 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 did Megatron bring a bowl with him? Oh. I'm gonna feed Ravage somehow. Bring them. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it transforms and becomes some sort of part of him. Can you think he can feel it when somebody else drinks from his bowl? Yes. <laughs> and uh, how much? Uh, I'm gonna hold. Probably mangle this because I've never heard it said out loud. But how much of this uh, uh, conjunct, conjunct writers that that be, how much of this ritual that Getaway talks about is any of that based even slightly in reality? I think so. I think that's. I mean, you 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 tell plausible lies by saying things that are half true. Um, I suppose he's, he's not sure at the start if Tailgate has heard of this before. So I suppose you have to be. Uh, using something roughly accurate just in case he had known about it. Yeah. The Twitter Q&A James Roberts did, I think, pretty much confirmed that it was an accurate uh, depiction of it. Hmm. And also, you know, if we, we've been told right from the bat that these guys are born with a lot of memories of their culture and stuff. I mean, if that existed in Tailgate's time, he would have you know the, the standard info package on that, I guess. Yeah, but he didn't seem to. Do we think then that it's a new thing? Oh, good point. Um, yeah, did he did he need to did Conjux Endura need to be explained to him back in the day? I can't remember. Uh, they must have put exposition about that in somewhere, explaining what it meant, and he'd have been the obvious character to do that with. Uh... I think interestingly they didn't. It was one of those concepts that was. I think James Roberts sort of let us assume after a while what it meant through the Rewind and Chromedon story because the first time it's mentioned is in issue 12 yes first aid right yes uh, mentions it's Chromedon says Rewind's got you down as his conjugs and Dura actually come to think of it there's quite a lot of parallels to issue 12 hmm uh the bomb board yeah uh yeah yes I really like that one Uh, yeah this is the same kind of deal it's like very tight 
very very well very well built i really like i don't know this this kind of thing really tickled me um when whirl has all of his clocks out there's all these kind of cogs and springs and stuff uh out but they're all just like standard cheap digital like bedside alarm clocks Uh, i i find that very funny i don't know why has, uh, has anyone been through the times on them and worked out any special significance to all the numbers? Yes. Well, they're all 24 hours. Did you say there are 24 hours? They're more than 24. I noticed one of the clocks is 2944. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, I saw what I wanted yeah, to see so there, that, didn't I? The one on the second shelf at an angle, is that, that, is that 54 on that? Yeah, oh. or, or 34, 54, 30. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a 29, there's a 34. Yeah, yeah. I checked the bottom row, I moved on. Because <laughs> I was, I was, I quite liked it. How uh, the the uh, rate of acceleration on the planet Getaway was born on uh, was higher than that of Earth's. So yeah, good. It's the little things. The world Cyclonus scene is possibly my favourite part of the issue, actually, because it it's sort of a cliche. Uh, there are one specific one that is on the tip of my mind, but I can't quite place what this feels like. There's a lot of scenes in fiction where. The two people who don't really like each other have a heart-to-heart conversation. They're like, sort of, like, oh, they do get on sort of okay after all. And this plays with that, and of course, subverted at the end because Will's actually in of evil conspiracy. Mm. So he's been actually been even more of a bastard here than he might otherwise appear. So I, I really like that how that took on a new meaning in the, uh, a few pages later. Yeah, it's really well earned. This scene. Yeah, it's one of my favourite scenes between the two, the two characters. And as for Whirl and being behind this, again with the parallels to issue 12, he's responsible for something without having, I don't think, really thought it through. So when yeah. he thro- he throws Cyclonus into the room to trap him in there, he, he just does it on impulse and not realising what he's doing. And he clearly regrets it afterwards because he uh, is the one to save um, Rewind. Um, and I think it's a similar setup with this one. Like he's he's in on the plan without having really appreciated the consequences. What's that, what that means for Telgate? Maybe more so than Cyclonus. I think he he appreciates exactly what Telgate means to Cyclonus after this conversation. I I, I, I also really like uh, Cyclonus and Trixilix. I think that was uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. Uh, yeah, it's just a a, a great. Little scene. Oh, I've, I've, worked, I've worked out what it reminds you of, actually. And uh, the specific example of this trope it reminds you of is an episode of Deep Space Nine where uh, Odo is mooning over Kira and uh, Quark comes to his quarters to complain about the noise of him having a temper tantrum. And they have a very similar conversation uh, where Quark is going, ah, you wretched idiot, just either tell her or get over it. Because uh, I'm sick of hearing all this noise. I don't really like you. I'm just sick of you constantly having all these temper tantrums about it to sort it out. And that plays with sort of trope strengths, uh, while this uh, is a little more subversive with it. Yeah, it's got another uh, fold going on. The fact that Whirl is saying what he is saying in order to make his dastardly plan play out right. Oh, no, if it's over the page, we find out Will was in it. So I thought it was a few pages later, but no, no. over this. I like that that transition as well, because we're going to go from the same color palette, and then just that that little shot of the ship, that establishing shot, tells us that uh, you know we're now in a different situation. Uh, it's very very effective. 
Uh, did, did we? Well, obviously, we did get away. He was up to something dodgy. Did we think he had a couple of series before this? Or um, I didn't. Uh, I had basically forgot who Atomizer was. <laughs> First time I read this issue, so that was a, a surprise. Uh, I think he did, uh, but I was expecting it to be Riptide because Riptide is in that scene where he takes um, Getaway, not Getaway, Telgate. He takes him legislator part fishing. Oh, yeah. And I, I still think there's more people in on this than we've actually uncovered. And there's more to it than we've uncovered because mm. what Atomizer does with a list at the beginning of the season happens before any decisions made to bring Megatron on board. So there's different motivation behind that. So the fake list that he gives to Rodimus. Oh. Yes, actually, that's a very good point. Yeah. So whatever's happening is bigger and who's actually actually in on it is a good question and who, who has the whole picture and who has bits of the picture actually what, what i especially like is because obviously will as you say is impulsive and uh thinks of a moment and um, this has been quite a long game so obviously keeping him on board with this or him not doing something stupid and counterproductive was always going to be tricky so i like the fact they had a plan in place to deal with world the moment that he does have his uh, spontaneous change of attitude they were yeah. expecting that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't have a wild card uh, on board like Whirl. I mean, I guess they, I guess they were using Whirl to basically commit suicide by Megatron, uh, and when that doesn't work out, like, mm, well, what's he really good for here? <laughs> <laughs> we got to know when to uh, turn him around. Uh, or one complaint that our uh, good friend Warcry from the archive had about this was that he felt it was incredibly stupid of Getaway to involve Tailgate in this for two reasons of Tailgate being a bit flaky and indecisive himself and not guaranteed of doing anything and also because involving him would involve Cyclonus who would probably mess up their plans entirely as he actually does and he, he felt that was a made Getaway seem stupid would that be something you two agree with? I don't particularly myself Whenever I read about the history of espionage, it's I you you don't have to go very far before you find like just arrogant people completely messing up their ridiculously complicated plans. Prowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was say, oh yeah, I, I'm I'm not entirely convinced by Getaway's dispassionate shtick when he's with Atomizer and Whirl. I think he was picking on Tailgate because he is the most vulnerable. I, I don't think he's necessarily the most strategic choice, yeah, because of uh, he comes with Cyclonus. But I, I think Getaway likes his job. And Marion, I imagine you have something to say about Getaway. <laughs> I think arrogance is a good word here. He exhibits a staggering lack of empathy. So they make fun of um, uh, Tailgate for being stupid. Uh, in these pages and uh, referring to Whirl as nut job repeatedly. He clearly thinks nothing of Tailgate and manipulating him. Uh, they make fun of Whirl when he's on the floor, uh, calling him a little psychopath. And what really got me is the panel a bit later on when um, Cyclonus uh, is running, when he realizes what's going on, and he's running down the corridor and there's a getaway and atomizer in the corridor there, and he says, oh, hey, Cyclonus, catch you later full knowing exactly what's happening. So he's he's hard to think of a word for that isn't a swear word that I can actually use in the podcast. Let's go with arrogant. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a horrible little smirking jock bit, isn't it? Like, oh, hey, Cyclonus. Yeah, everything you just said, he's a vile, manipulative sod. Is it as bad as what Brainstorm tried to do? What Brainstorm tried to do was far more evil. I mean, that would have not just wiped Tailgate out of existence, it would have wiped everybody out of existence. Yeah, Yeah. but there's there's something to be said for manners. (laughs) Yeah, he just comes across better, so you like Brainstorm more. He he tried to do a far, far worse thing. There's a lot to be said for motivation. He was trying to save people. He went about it in completely wrong way and would have ended up killing a lot of people. So the logic there, maybe not so much. But the reasoning behind it was better. Suppose. More more forgivable, I think, and sympathetic than whatever it is that Getaway is trying to do here, which is not some kind of grand scheme to save Cybertronians from evil. It's just some kind of petty plan to get rid of Megatron because he doesn't like whatever decisions been made by the people above him. But mind you, you could argue that if Megatron inevitably goes evil again, even though two years down the line he's a bad guy again and he's killing loads of people, would sacrifice his tailgate to be But of course he, he's not prepared to go do it himself, which is he comes up with a plan but he won't do it. Can't find a patsy. Uh, for his Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he and Atomizer could quite easily have just snuck into Megatron's room and filled him full of holes. And they, pro- uh, yeah, they probably would have gotten not off. That be, not that being shot full of holes is that lethal, apparently. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh one thing here, uh, before we go into the, the main Cyclonus uh, tailgate getaway scene, is uh, the Nudge Gun, which. When I originally read this, I thought that was a very odd bit when it had come back without any sort of setup. They sort of, because normally Robert is quite good at foreshadowing these things. In fact, he suddenly got his special memory gun back without any prior hint of that. Felt a bit awkward, but I'm wondering now if that is more significant. Seems obviously Chief Judge Tyrex is still out there, and presumably Getaway lost the gun when he was captured, uh, took prisoner, it would have been took off him. So is he... Because you, you were saying, Mario, that he's up to something bigger than just taking care of Megatron. So do we think he's in league with Tyrex here? And that's um, on the back or something else? Or is it just it, a bit of bad writing? <laughs> uh, I don't think it's bad... I didn't bother me. I don't think it's bad writing. Uh, he does say, well, it took me ages to get this back. Um, there is a question about whether there is a relationship there still with uh, Getaway and Tyrex and what exactly happened between the two of them whilst Getaway was a prisoner. I don't think this is how I read this in this case, though, because I would have assumed the, the binary gun or the nudge gun had been left back on Luna 1, and there's now quite a lot of people on Luna 1 um, sitting on quite a lot of things, so I just read it as somehow Getaway managed to get someone to just send it over to him. Yeah, they, they do, they've got the, the subspace hatch now. Yeah. Yeah, that works as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it's 2.24, isn't it, like, to have... The guy who was in the prison and then was working for the baddie because he'd been brainwashed by the I I I don't know I I, I expect better than um, that kind of twist. So the, the, what I find interesting in the final bit, uh, the flashback to persuading Tailgates to do it finally, it's invoking Cyclonus's name mm. uh, that does it, which uh, 
was also interested about it shows that perhaps he's not that committed to his potential relationship with Getaway, that even at this stage, it's more Cyclonus that he wants uh, psychologically. Yeah, uh, it's all very... It's sad and it's sweet, and I have a I have a long rant about those two guys, uh, Cyclonus and uh, Telgate coming up, um, oh. and lack and lack of communication. I think Telgate Telgate just wants to belong and he wants to be needed and loved, and he's very insecure. But what he really wants is Cyclonus, which is interesting in itself because for the for the whole of season one. It wasn't entirely clear if he wanted Cyclonus or if it just Cyclonus was who he ended up with. Um, and I think it's very sweet that they're both coming to certain realizations uh, with this issue, perhaps. Um, and the more time Telgate spends with Getaway, the more he realizes it's really Cyclonus that he'd rather be with. As similarly, Cyclonus on his end is uh, perhaps trying to work out whether his feelings are parental, as we were saying earlier, whether he feels something more or whether he also has just ended up with um, Telgate, as Will tells him. So, yeah, it's a bit sad, this. Yeah. Uh, basically, I mean, uh, Getaway seeds that, talking about what impresses Cyclonus and what doesn't a little while back in Mirages. Yeah, but it wouldn't have worked if he didn't know that deep down Telgate uh, felt very strongly about him, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Use it, turn, uses the ones he loves against him. Indeed. I just wanted to say how fantastic the sequence of uh, Will, Will's hollow avatar floating through uh, the ship is. Mm. Uh, especially the, the colouring of the spicy bit. Purples and that. that just looks uh, lovely. I asked John Alafuente on Twitter about that. The colors are very similar to the scene between Will and Cyclonus by the furnace in uh, Remaining Light. Oh yeah. So I wondered if that was a um, deliberate throwback, and she said actually it wasn't, but she was. Uh, she sounded a bit good at that she hadn't thought of it. <laughs> ah. Who is painting tape? For a tusk. Okay, yeah, that's that's what he does. That's the monster bots. They used to be mavericks who break rules and they're badasses. Now they're just floral artists. <laughs> and uh, that's what he, the, the panel, uh, it's like uh, World's Room, is probably the biggest collection of 113s we will ever see J. Roberts do. Is it Tarkaria would be building to that moment, really? <laughs> A ro- an empty room full of 113s. Is it, is it remarkably easy uh, for Tailgate to get in Megatron's room? By just, there's a manual, big switch, uh, say, manual override outside. <laughs> if it, you would have thought he'd have at least a lock on his door, a little keychain, because <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of people on there who might want to kill him. Um, uh, yeah, it's fine. You know, we could have had an explanation for that, but it wasn't really necessary. He got in. Tailgate so got him in. The wrench could have been used for that if uh, this. Sonic screwdriver in it. Uh, yeah, or maybe he did. Uh, I, I feel like this the sequence is is very economically paced out and and works very well. I think like a, you know, a bit of a clunky. And that's how I got inside Megatron's room. Bit does it's 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 not necessary in this case. Uh, yeah, I, I I think this whole action sequence is is lovely. Um, just the you get like a real bit of the old Megatron where he sits up and crushes Tailgate's head. 
Uh, and uh, also, in being uh, frustrated with the sword, that calls back to uh, how Cyclone has saved Tailgate at the end of season one. With uh, I think that's just a, any problem with Tailgate, just stab it through the chest. That's how, <laughs> that's how we fix Tailgate problems. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, it seems to work. This is a trick. Cyclonus is really learning how the world works. And yeah, there were some complaints about Cyclonus's behaviour in this scene, saying it would have been more sensible for him to just call security because uh, they'd have just got there more quickly anyway. He wouldn't have done that. Uh, yeah, plus he's had a he doesn't drink, and he's just had something special from Swerve, so he may not be completely thinking straight either. Yeah, alcohol does pave over a lot of those cracks. I, I don't think it's just that. It's just not in Cyclonus's character to, you know, pick the phone up and prank uh, the police. But I mean, he's a bodyguard. It's what he does. This is this is him. This is what he'd do. I can't imagine him doing anything other than what he's done. But there is a lot here to be said about Cyclonus and what he thinks other people think of him. And all the way to the end, Cyclonus doesn't think anyone's going to listen to him because he doesn't think that other people see him that way. Uh, he says he thinks people are either afraid of him or, you know, trying really hard to please him. And I guess he probably thinks if he rang someone and told them this is what's going on, uh, they'd just go, mm, yeah, I don't think so, or wouldn't believe him or think he was up to something. But realistically, there doesn't seem to be any time. Um, this all happens very, very quickly. And if he hadn't reacted the way he'd reacted, uh, he would have been a second too late. It all seems to be in character and seeded very well. Uh, I, I, yeah, I can't see Cyclonus picking up the phone and talking to Strafe. Like, hey, Strafe, all right, listen. Uh, <laughs> the back. I, know, I know we've had our differences, but uh, you really need to help me out here. Uh, how, uh, how badass is Cyclonus uh, <laughs> in taking out Ravage and Megatron and getting covered in blood? I, I love a panel of Cyclonus kicking Ravage in the face. <laughs> it's it's beautiful those panels all of them that whole scene yeah, the is fantastic as well. the overkill if you uh, twatty Megatron with a big TV monitor thing as well I was gonna stab you beat you as well I mean he hits it really hard he's like caved in his skull there uh, it's the art is is lovely here the the action in the art the movement and the um, the storytelling through the art and I especially love in the last panel where he turns around and grabs the sword out of Megatron it's all very nicely done. So then Cyclonus is gunned down brutally. Well, uh, before that, I would say uh, when Tailgate is thinking of, about the the four acts thing and mm-hmm. how he's done most of them with Cyclonus, I would say that firmly moves this in at least the Telgate's eyes, into a romantic rather than a parental mm-hmm. uh, thing. That's, that's what I was talking about earlier and saying I think this issue pretty much firmly says it's a romance thing. I'm not, I'm not disputing that it, that uh, this is a romantic thing, but I, I guess I mean parental in a more uh, metaphorical way. The way, you know, when sometimes you do have a much older partner and a younger partner, they do kind of look out for them and, you know, that quality rather than it being literally true. Yeah, and regardless of age, you have parent-child relationships in adults of the same age quite a lot of the time, and sometimes you have them even in romantic relationships. You have that odd dynamic going on. One doesn't exclude the other. Yeah, absolutely. Like, how big... I'm sorry, I was looking at the panel where they're all uh, getting ready to shoot Cyclonus. How big is Dogfights? It is Dogfights, isn't it? Uh, it looks it looks like him, yep. Yeah. Uh, how big is his Gatling gun? <laughs> He looks like, uh, what's his name, from Predator? 
<laughs> Jesse Ventura. <laughs> this is how we deal with people on this ship. Well, I guess he's, he's a plane, right? So I guess that would be mounted to to the underside of his plane so he could uh, strafe um, uh, multiple personnel targets. Does this look a bit like the legislator guns, maybe? Oh. oh yeah, yeah. I mean, poor, poor old boss, uh, he has a pathetically small gun in comparison. That's just... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, just just uh, straightforward, it shoots. Looks like it turns into, like, an engine for his car or something. So, uh, considering they all have ridiculously large guns, except the boss, and Cyclonus has a pointy bit of metal, would you say their reaction here is overkill? Yeah, but, I mean, we, we, we're definitely seeing this in the context of uh, the nightmare of 2015 in, in America. Police gunning down, you know, uh, police like, using overkill on a, a target who may or may not bear the mill is, you know, that's, that's, that's what culture is about now. The payoff to the whole idea that nobody on the ship likes Cyclonus, <laughs> despite the fact of everything he's done, they still hate him for what happened on Kimia four years ago. Hmm. They know tailgates there. And they like tailgates, everybody likes it, but they're still firing all these guns hmm. with the intent of killing Cyclonus as well. They're, they're very, we know now he survives it, they're, but is, is he dead thing implies they were very much trying to go for the kill. I, I guess the, the fact that they stopped at some point. <laughs> they presumably would have killed him if uh, tailgate hadn't turned out to be magic. Uh, but the end there, which again calls back to remaining light, so it's sort of reverse of what Cyclonus does for him. Uses a bit of magic. Do we think this is what happens? Do we think that the um, tailgate does whatever happens to tailgate uh, saves some clones in some way here? I, I would assume so. Uh, less, there's some sort of extra significance to it. I mean, it, it revives Thunderclash. Definitely okay. something up with with tailgate's magic. I I think it's wish magic. I think like after this, all of tailgate's wishes come true. <laughs> he saves Cyclonus. Wakes up Thunderclash, who then he gets to, and then he gets to look cool and strong and tough in front of Thunderclash, and save everybody. I, I, I you know, I, I, I'm seeing. I think the reason why these these sort of developments seem so annoying to me, you know, oh, Cyclonus is fine. Oh, Telgate is super strong now. So you're saying he's got the look right virus from Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah, and he's gonna wish going to be in some sort of situation where he wishes that he was dead and then oh man um yeah i i, I think maybe th- there'll be a point where all this is undone uh and uh and cyclonus will just keel over and hellgate will will explode or and thunderclash will go back to sleep or whatever i don't know i i, I feel that yeah there's definitely it, it, it is tempting to link these all these miraculous events together okay i i obviously we know Cyclonus is a die now, and generally I thought this issue stood up much better than I was expecting it when I reread it for this, actually, because I thought, because there are aspects of a payoff in the next issue I really don't like, I thought it would have uh, negatively affect this issue, but mostly I thought it still worked very, very well. But the ending is so operatic, appropriately, for Cyclonus, and so big as a death scene. Mm. The way something goes, hey, it was all right all along. No way, just move on to the next thing. This really could only have worked as a death scene for Cyclonus without it seeming silly, ridiculously over the top in retrospect for something that turned 
turns out to not have been that significant an event after all. Mm. From a storytelling perspective, I think we are being emotionally manipulated here into reacting. It, it is very much written like a death scene. But I can, I can forgive it for two reasons. First of all, because I was so happy that Cyclonus wasn't dead that I would forgive just about anything. <laughs> Secondly, because the, the issue feels very personal and character-driven and it's all told perhaps from the emotional states of the characters involved. So the, the triangle, which isn't um, Cyclonus, Telgate and Getaway, but Cyclonus, Telgate and Will. Oh. So from their perspective, if you were in the situation, you would have thought you were dying. They have no way of knowing they're going to survive. So from that point of view, I'm willing to forgive the uh, the intensity of the emotion, perhaps. I have a feeling that what he was trying to do, as you're saying, right, intentionally made manipulative. I've got a feeling what he was trying to do is something he tried to do once before that didn't quite work uh, with Rung at the end of issue six, where, oh, Rung is dead, and he wanted you to think he was dead for a specific emotional reaction. I, uh, I think that same feedback of that did it, it was felt not to have worked in the way he wanted it to work. I think in interviews he said, we mildly surprised by that. Uh, this feels like he's trying to do that again, but to make it work in the way that he wanted. And again, the feedback hasn't exactly been brilliant towards it, uh, at least as far as I've seen generally. Hmm. I, I, uh, I agree that, I think that like this issue does hold up despite the fact that, you know, the, the climax is, is tender. Because it it's just so nicely constructed and, and everything does fit and it's satisfying as a character and the emotional payoff is satisfying. I don't think it's forgivable just to have Cyclonus be fine again because now he's, you can't kill him now. He's, he's, he's a, he, is, he has plot armor so thick because you can't top that. You've, you've gone to all this trouble. <laughs> For people at home, I... <laughs> In a fist pump of a, yes! <laughs> he can't die. You can't do this again. He's now safe for at least another five, six issues. It's all fine. Yeah, well, at least until another writer gets hold of him, and that, then you're thinking now you're thinking of the meta game, and and I don't know. I feel that that um, that queers the pitch, so to speak. I, I don't know. I am expecting some sort of weird reversal on this, but I I may I I'm probably wrong on that. But yeah, I think I think it's a miscalculation. I think he, I, I think Roberts is experimenting. We see with this and with the getaway moment as well, which caused so much tumult. Oh, we'll come to that. Yeah, yeah, it's experimenting with setting things up to look one way, which isn't necessarily the way that it is. Um, and, and I think it's a great thing for him to be experimenting with. Uh, and and I think he's 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 getting very good at that as a result of these things. But I I I think he wants to have it both ways i think people are seeing it as a, as a breach of faith rather than a clever trick yeah i think what the series needs is to properly kill off a main character at this point because i think it's been too well of well how amazing it is that they survive that just one too many times i know, I know robert doesn't like the, the fake out death criticism it annoys him but this is pretty much a perfect poster child example of that so it's a uh, in order to maintain any dramatic tension for moments where characters look like they're going to be killed it may needs to kill somebody otherwise because even at the first reading of this I thought well it's hard to completely invest in these things as a possibility that Cyclonus will just be fine next issue because mm. uh, that's what usually happens so I think what was the last 
significant character death. Well, bits, bits were good guys. It wasn't pipes, was it? it was Trailbreaker. Trailbreaker. So that's like ten. It was that near the start of season two. I can't quite. Well, remember so he that. wasn't in the same. I mean, pipes and Trailbreaker still on. You know, they're not main cast guys. There were a couple of Trailbreaker got a few moments before he was axed. And like, oh, look, maybe Trailbreaker's on the team now. No, he isn't. <laughs> Yeah, I think the worst one is still Ultra Magnus being made to look like he died twice in the space of about three issues during remaining lights. Where, God, that's a bit much. Oh, he's got a smaller, smaller one inside of him. <laughs> I like, I, I, I allow that one because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, k- kill somebody, Roberts. Uh, kill, I don't know, uh, who has it he faked killed yet? Yeah, he can't really kill Will because they did my whole always oh, going to die thing with Cyclonus. They've done it with Magnus and Rodimus. Tailgate's been on his deathbed several yeah. times now. Uh, Introduce a new main character. Chrome Dome! Chrome Dome! Definitely! <laughs> well, that, that, that's something that he's foreshadowed a bit in the next issue. Oh. Uh, oh, I suppose before we go on, uh, because uh, the art of this one is by Brendan Calhill, is it? Uh, mm mm-hmm. so. uh, What do we think of the art? Oh, beautiful. Cahill has uh, become one of my favorite artists on Transformers. Uh, it used to be a bit uh, hit and miss. I remember back in um, Police Action, was it? Police Story? Where, uh, I don't know, I didn't really like his style. He was kind of going for a Mignola kind of deal. But, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, when he did the Brainstorm Trial issue, I was blown away by that. His sense of space and action uh, and, and background is perfect. I agree, and um, I'm really growing fond of him for these more character-driven issues, which seems to be what he's being used for primarily. The art is beautiful here. I especially love all the little close-ups of Cyclonus and the action scene, as we mentioned before, the final moments as they're running to the shuttle bay and uh, the gunning down, obviously, and, uh, yeah, just beautiful all around. So that brings us on to 48, and... uh... Having praise the story of our recap last time, I should say the one here did get alarm bells ringing for me at the time because it doesn't mention the Cyclonus tailgate aspect of the last plot at all. I thought, okay, it's, how is that going to be dealt with? Is it going to be dealt with at all? I did actually briefly think that this issue was a set before a flashback story for reasons I will come to when we get to the main scene. I thought, oh, this was set earlier. But to start with, as Marion said, it's uh, a similar echo to the last issue opening with uh, somebody telling an event from their past. Mm. And it's uh, it's a doozy. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, I love the story of a mind with a head in it. Which, uh, that's some chaos theory, isn't it, sentient minds? uh... No, different. That was a whole race of sentient explosives. Oh, oh, yes. They were aliens. They weren't... I get maybe that's where Megatron got the idea to have people turned into bombs. That's much more horrific. Of course, the Skids thing has been building for a while now, as has the, the, the Tarn thing, uh, resulted in some people, related to people not a million miles away from here, having eccentric theories about Tarn that they like to harass James Roberts about in person. We should have, we should have got uh, Night Raymond on this, actually, to expound upon his theories. But uh, uh, what do we think about Skids and Tarn before this uh, ideas? Well, I don't know. This was my favorite of the of the stories running through these two parties. Uh, I like this this skit. It's just like a very I don't know. I don't want to say fun, but very straightforward. Uh, you know, uh, Holocaust prison camp sort of story. 
but no, it, it just it had these transformery aspects to it that set it apart and i think it was very satisfying in what it tried to do i don't particularly care who Tarn is i don't particularly care what's up with skid's memories kind of those sort of mysteries aren't very interesting to me um about skid's memories it had been one of the things i was mostly looking forward to finding out about Tarn's identity for me at this point is pretty much set in stone i would be very surprised if he's not who everyone says he is i did like where this went I like that it went somewhere I wasn't expecting. A lot of people were thinking that Skids was Agent 113, and that was the time connection. But uh, that we've moved away from that now, I think. So this wasn't something that I would have guessed, uh, which is always good, because with more than CI, for better or for worse, because we tend to overanalyze it, because it can withstand the analysis, we, we end up at some point or other coming up with a theory of what's going to happen. Or we come up with a theory that ends up being better in our heads than what we actually get. This wasn't something I expected in any way, so this was good. It was, um, it was, uh, it was new. Mm. I thought this was very clever because the first part is set up to make it look like it's just to be explaining these plot mysteries. Oh, it's about who Tarn is because it blanks out his name in the flashbacks in a intriguing way, and it implies. Skids knows who he is. Yeah, that's that's blank voice. Does he know who he is because he's a particularly famous Decepticon? Or because he knew him before, though? That could go either. There is something really clever here. I only picked up on rereading as Skids is trying to recollect. If you notice, the words that have been blacked out Mm -hmm. are Skids' triggers. So Quark's name uh, has been blanked. Ah. Um, mentions the transfers and the teleporter, I think. It's nicely done that way. Mm. Oh, and uh, is, is that Flywheels? That guy there? It is. Yeah, he's, he's got the, uh, the Primus, uh, the, the Matrix Balls. Things. Yeah, he's got the Matrix Balls. That's what I believe they're called. Primus's <laughs> Balls, right? <rather. laughs> Those little clackers. Uh, uh, what, yeah. think, what insult does he use there that gets blanked out? But so traumatise his skins, he has to repress it from his memory oh, as well. Pin, pinheads, oh no. <laughs> Not pins, oh! <laughs> uh, oh, and Octus is amongst the Decepticons as well, which mm-hmm. is quite nice. And Skyquake looking fabulous. <laughs> yeah. I was really happy to see Flywheels. At the same time, I was glad it was Flywheels and not any of the other scavengers, because he's dead. So you can't hold this against him. If it was one of the others, you'd be really conflicted after this issue, wouldn't you? They deserve to have their spines ripped out by uh, Roadbuster, yes, <laughs> if it's the case. And then we did the wrong analysis bits uh, about the company's best memories. I hate this. I hate all of this. <laughs> Is that it's a thing? It's really happy with his ship, though. But, oh. I, I, I like wrong in his ships, but I hate, I mean, there's no such thing as repressed memories. It's such a 90s, like, movie psychology thing. Uh, traumatic events are more memorable than the non-traumatic events because it's a survival feature. You want to remember things that that bad that happened to you because you don't want them to happen again. There was kind of a, a whole sort of craze in psychology of, like, unearthing repressed memories. But really what happens is that you get people in a vulnerable position where they trust someone and you just make them confabulate stuff. You just make them make up whatever will please the psychologist who's who's pushing you to remember things it led to a whole spat of like child abuse allegations and like satanic cult things and just the craziest made up stuff um 
uh, a lot of psychologists got struck off for it. And uh, well, there you go. You see, maybe that's why he got struck off. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 we've got this whole scandal of Rung getting too close to his patient while while he's practicing incredibly irresponsible psychology. So, I mean, all this stuff that Skid's telling us by in the real world, this you know, this would all be made up. He would just be saying stuff to please Rung. But then, of course, that's I guess that's not where it is. I don't think. I, I think it's more likely that using a pop psychology as a stand-in for real psychology is is more likely than the fact that using that misunderstanding is a way to create a twist that skids was never at grindcore didn't even know quark we talked before about how i think skid uh, rug is a terrible psychiatrist <laughs> anyway so it was nice to get the confirmation in this issue that yes he is awful <laughs> yeah we we predicted this one nicely last time didn't we <laughs> He's just a faker. He's just making it up as he goes along. Uh, there's one really clunky bit of writing here that I really don't like uh, when he's talking to Skids, where uh, he's asked, Skids asking why he left, and Rung reminds of reading about Freud by talking about Freudian analysis. Thirty <laughs> seconds before Freud unexpectedly walks in the door, that's just, you could have seen that a little bit neater if you wanted to. Especially when he then seems to explain who Freud is after Freud walks in. You didn't really need to bring up Freudian analysis beforehand, really. So, I, I think it's just to remind readers that Freud, the robot, is quite similar to Freud, the Viennese man. Oh, but actually, uh, the bit where uh, they talk about how Skins wants his psychiatrist report delivered, mm. that's a bit clunky as well, because presumably they've done lots of sets it's set up beforehand it's a bit on me so how do you want this delivered well why don't you just send it me to a message rated it into my brain i'm sure this piece of information won't turn out to be important later on but we could we could do that so i'll, I'll give i don't know one. why you ask me that every time we have a session i thought you'd have known that by now because it's something that sometimes transformers can do and sometimes they can't look if, if transformers could really do brain-to-brain transmission their entire society would be totally different so the fact that it's something that, you know, it's kind of a special case, I think is important to reinforce, but also we shouldn't just assume that they're doing this all the time. Oh, also criminal profiling. That's also a bunch of nonsense. Uh, that also led to a load of wrongful arrests in the 90s. And uh, the psych- uh, psychiatric uh, community just sort of quietly vowed to never really do that again. Who would have thought Floyd wouldn't be much of a good psychiatrist either? It's basically just, it- if I ever need a psychiatrist in the Transformers universe, I'm going to Cerebrus. <laughs> but it worked though that's the thing like his criminal profiling did catch Sunder so he is demonstrably a good his his bad methods uh, worked out alright here speaking of which I love Freud's design we've seen it before but I also love how uh, Sakamoto's really he, he doesn't cheat with it when he hugs Rung his like, arms are going to bend backwards <laughs> he's this much was... bigger than he was back in um, well, last time we saw him back in um, Mesotene I think it was don't remember the issue number at the top of my head when he was um, shadow playing Megatron uh-huh. which happened was anyway so the next page where we get the very rapid wrap-up to last issue. Yeah. It's like I genuinely thought when this came up that this meant this was actually a flashback to just after remaining lights, where Cyclonus is sitting next to Tailgate after stabbing him with the sword, and this entire story was a set before story, up to that second, uh, third panel of a page where you see the bullet holes, and then I was like, oh, okay, no, it's just that we're having a really bizarre, 
And he was okay, really. From, you know, only the, none of those bunny holes look big enough to come from Dogfight's skirt either. <laughs> but you miss him every, every time. You miss, but I, actually, this may be my least favourite page in all of War from ETI ever. By a considerable margin. Because it's just so bizarrely glib and, and dramatic and everybody's pally with each other. You know, even Megatron's like, oh, I forgive him, but don't worry about that. I wouldn't have hurt him. But At least the Megatron thing, this is set up for his you know, vow of pacifism he takes in the next issue. Yeah, I mean, one bit I like now in retrospect is a bit where one of us says, get away, won't be getting into anything in future, because that line takes on a fantastic new significance. Yeah, how dark is Rodimus, man? He has getaway dismembered and gagged and forcibly nemosurgeried to extract a confession. That's... Right, Optimus Prime would not approve. Uh, no, but Optimus was prepared to nemosurge Megatron, though. That, uh, yeah, I guess, man, I guess that, that's where he's taking his cue from. But I guess that was a last resort as far as Optimus is concerned. Yeah, it's just all sort of very pat. I mean, they get the information about... But how did they get... Oh, no, they, they did it to tailgate. They, they did Mimo Surgeon uh, get away. That, that's still slightly dodgy, I suppose. But uh, Atomizer decides to try and shoot Ultra Magnus, so he gives himself away. Mm. So it's made us conveniently... It's just very, very odd sequence. So I don't really get it at all. The thing, using uh, Mimo Surgery to get a quick answer is... What is it now? The fourth time that Rodimus has done this? Yeah, there's a Titan. Plenty this season as well. Um, he makes um, Chromedom do it to his corpse, uh, which <laughs> is supposed to be amazingly dangerous as well. We, we've had it happen a lot. So this is just, you know, just, oh, you just take it a step further and do it to unconscious people. I wonder if this is all building up to something similar to the last season's, you know, Magnus's just exasperation at Rodimus, which nobody has been addressing, because there's been a lot of incidents of Rodimus doing questionable things and uh, Megatron disagreeing. Yeah, when uh, Rodimus is looking more reprehensible than Megatron in the room. Yeah. To, to be fair, though, he's not Bumblebee. That's yeah. that's standard <laughs> for complete bastard leaders. <laughs> yeah, he's not really. He's not. Uh, <laughs> assassinating people by remote control. Sotonus doesn't even get any fireworks to all the Thunderclash. We haven't done anything for We're sorry we tried to murder you. That was such a beautiful scene. Fireworks for me? It's just, no, they're not for you. <laughs> yeah. Adding to Rodimus's crimes. Making, making Cyclonus. <laughs> Poor dead Cyclonus. <laughs> Should I was so happy to see Cyclonus here that um, I just didn't care about anything else. <laughs> but I I do take all and any criticism of um, how this was handled. It it soured me on the issue. I think unfairly because it's you know it's, it's it's not it's not a terrible it's not a crime against humanity or anything. Um, uh, not compared to what's committed in forty nine. It's it soured me on the issue for for quite I was quite grumpy about it for a little while, but uh, mm. you know I guess the the upside to these delays is that you do kind of you know get your temper back. <laughs> okay, so we've got um, getaway arrested, and uh, we were gonna find out exactly what happened to him shortly. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I I quite like in the backstory of Sunder, I like the sort of seeding the, the being quite coy about Spectre. Not showing Spectre, but actually showing Spectre that he's the, the ship. Um, I, yeah, I like I like all that stuff. 
He wasn't called uh, Spectre, was he? Was it not uh, Scepter, not Spectre? Ah, Scepter. You're confusing uh, the the Transformer with the uh, criminal organisation led by a white cat-loving man. It's... Ah, I'm always doing that. (laughs) Yeah, I like the stuff. I like the conversation with Freud. Let me establish that Rung is a dodgy psychiatrist. I'm with Freud on this. Suck out his eyeballs. (laughs) Glasses cleaned a bit. It's quite good as well. And he just gets very annoyed with that. Freud says that he was taken hostage by Sunder at this point. It's not quite clear then how we got to them being best buds. This may be something to that that explains Freud's behaviour later on in the issue. Oh, Sunder might have rewritten him. Uh, that's not what I was thinking, actually, but that's another very good point, yes. At, at one point, uh, Rung, even this issue of the next issue, uh, uses a... Uh, he says something syndrome. I can't find uh, the word he uses here. It says, I, mean, I presume it's supposed to be the Transformers equivalent of something like Stockholm Syndrome. So it's sort of Stockholm Syndrome or transference. I'm sure Tom would now tell us neither of those are real things to psychiatry anymore. <laughs> no, no, those are still things. Uh, so it's sort of like uh, codependent brainwashing. He's, he's basically mm-hmm. Patty Hearst, Freud is. It's... Hmm. I wonder who the patient was. I wonder yeah. if it was Ben Alert, the patient he was too close to, because really that's his longest-serving patient spy. Uh, Everybody died. Uh, Everybody died on the fateful archetype. Oh. Uh, no, you, you might not have been aboard, mate. He could have been struck off. Uh, was uh, the patient actually on the fateful archetype, do we reckon? Well, I guess the, the mistake happened on the fateful archetype. Mm-hmm. It's odd that... Uh, I wonder what sort of ship that was that they had uh, medical board on it that could disbar him. They could have, most ships, they would have been possible to suspend him for du- from duty until they got him to a higher authority. Mm. It's not that they actually there were enough people on there who could make the decision to strike him off unilaterally without having to communicate it to anybody else. Yes, especially when communication across large distances is so easy and it can go directly into people's brains. <laughs> it's a yeah, you know, before somebody like Ratchet would have had to approve that as the, the CMO rather than... Uh, yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Uh, then we're back into the skid stuff. Didn't expect any further follow-up on the Quark thing. I thought that was just sort of a thing for uh, the Brainstorm story. So that was quite an interesting surprise. And obviously knowing he was destined to die in this prison camp... You expect whatever Skins did that was horrible would involve Quark, but I didn't really think it would go the direction it did. You know, I I did have that little glimmer of hope of like, oh, maybe Quark got out. Maybe he got out on the teleporter. Like, oh, no, of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> course he did. Well, I was assuming it would be that Skins would escape and leave Quark behind. Yeah. Uh, and after doing something that would make him see something with Tarn. So, yeah, what actually happens was uh, quite surprising. Of course, here, Skids is being very smug as well. And he's like, yeah, I can tell how to take these. I can do anything, me. Let's escape from... It's easy. I'm involved man. Which is setting um, him up for quite a bad fall as well. There's a good throwback here to issue 32 and cerebral dowsing. You know how Skid says when they find everyone killed by the DJD that he used to have a friend who could tell where the brain module was in alt mode. And he does just this where he manages to find where the Mafflar is in Quirk's alt mode. 
So I thought it was a nice one. Yeah. So do you think it's, it's do you think Skids really did have a friend, or do you think Skids is just talking about himself? But no, I think he did have a friend. I think he and he's just managed to pick up the skill like he does with everything else. So it's mm. just another thing that he knows how to do. Yeah. Yeah. Nice spot. I love the bit in um, when he's trying to he's checking the ceiling for um, any kind of uh, escape route. And this is, this made me think immediately of oh, back in issue three now, Skids uh, being locked in with Swerve. And the first thing he does is try to check the ceiling for um, escape hatches and then turns around and asks, do you like music? Oh, jeez, oh, man. That is awesome. <laughs> and then we, only, uh, then we only play music when we've got something to celebrate. That's, that's mm. chilling. Uh, but then Skid says that's blank. That's his voice. Yes, and we never, never find out who he's talking about. No. Well, uh, but then later on in the next issue, he's like, "Ah, oh, I wonder what goes on under that mask of his." But I mean, it, it, all this does make sense in the the fact that uh, in, in the light that Skids and Tarn uh, know each other, because Quark says, "Don't, don't say anything that's gonna." put yourself out and then immediately Tarn's at the door like oh where's my little multi-talented guy it's good got cameras in the cell there or something like that I know CCTV is pretty appalling in transport (laughs) but I would hope they'd have maybe observing prisoners and would spot him getting a brain chip out so that's how they know it could work either way I think whether he knows Tarn Mm. or not it could if it turned out he just recognised his voice because he's a famous Decepticon Mm. I think it's clearly someone he knows and I think the reason we don't hear any more of it is because when he actually sees him he just dismisses the assumption that uh, he thought who it was so he obviously doesn't recognise him I, I, I like uh, when we jump back to the present uh, that security seems to have improved a bit uh, they've <laughs> actually got guards on the ship and they know there's a psychopathic murderer aboard uh, people were complaining about we didn't understand why Freud let Sunder out in the next issue. And I assume that he, he was never really locked up anyway. Normally, he'd have free reign of a ship. They just put him in that cell to make it look like he was a prisoner for the security check. Yeah, yeah, he uh, says that this is all for show. Uh, who are they? Have we seen these guys before? Are they just cannon fodder who've been introduced to die? Uh, but who don't? Oh, I, I, yeah, I suppose they get fined. Uh, no, I, I don't think we've ever seen them before. Kindle and Further, everyone's favourites. What's odd with this issue as well is that the writing on the wall uh, that uh, Sunder has done, which is outside his cell, which he would have thought uh, Rung would have found out a bit suspicious instantly, uh, is written in Cybertronian, or some ancient language anyway, but next issue it's written in English. It's not the first time we've seen that happen. Is it the translation for the reader's benefit or... Yeah. Like it when it's inconsistent, translates everything or nothing. That is what. <laughs> oh, no, again, it's a, it's a, it's. I think it's a, it's a, it's a stylistic choice, and I think mm. it's more effective having Rung say like, "Is this?" Yeah, first of all, it establishes that they're all different dialects, so it's not necessarily uh, Cybertronian here. Oh no, dialects, so it would be the same language, but it establishes that that Sunder's got a bit more to him than uh, just a serial killer. That he's he's a bit booky. Uh, it establishes that Rung can read all those different dialects because why wouldn't he be able to? And also, it like there's a bit of a gap there. You see the writing and 
and Rung has to now explain it. But then next, you just need to know that Sunder is loose without someone having to explain it. Oh, well, that means Mortalus lives in Cybertronian. So I think it's fine. I think I think I think um, I think that that is deliberate and, and I think it's a good use of the language which we're dealing with here. Yeah, but I'll go with that then. You were too stuck in swing. <laughs> it's nice to hear stuff about the, the, the guided hand again as well, because mostly recently any mythology stuff has been using the aligned continuity stuff with like 13 and the, the enigma of combination, which we all love so much and all that. It's, it's nice to get back to sort of the original alternate idea they came up with for the annual, sort of bring that a bit to the fore again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I really dig the uh, I don't know, the design and the face of Sunder is just so funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, as much as I'm pretty down on this whole Sunder plotline, like serial killers and psychologists, it's very, um, it's very dated. But, uh, but yeah, I think Sunder himself, like as a character and as a design, is great fun. Got mentioned Loxet syndrome here that you were talking about earlier, Stuart. Oh. Yeah, that's a great Transformery name, and a great... That's exactly the sort of name which you'd have for, for Stockholm Syndrome. We've also got the Freudian slip. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't like Sander. Really? You, you don't... You, you think he's a nasty person, or you just don't think he's a character? No, I, I'm, I'm all for horrible characters, but he doesn't really work for me. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think he's necessarily meant to be a big bad. I mean, Freud keeps him under control, you know? He's more of a plot device. Yeah, um, he's a monster of the week. Yeah, but for that to be quite horrific, I guess, in theory, he should be quite horrifying. In reality, I'm just like, yeah, all right, whatever. I mean, he's basically there so that this story has a present-day plot with the rest of the cast rather than just being a Skins flashback yeah. story. I mean, I, you could have done this in one issue just about Skins, really. But there was obviously the decision made to uh, have the, the other characters in it and not just be a, an awful slight historical piece. Well, he's also, I guess, a method for to access memories that Skids... So, so we can be told yeah. his memories without... I mean, we could yeah, it could have just been a straight flashback, and that would have been fine, maybe better. But because um, I I do agree that this yeah. Sunder's silly. But yeah, I, I just I can appreciate like his crazy looking design and his big empty eyes and his mortalist shtick. Uh, I think that's uh, yeah, I quite <laughs> I think it's funny. Uh, but it's interesting. He's uh, he's uh, his balls becomes with Sunder's eyes. It's quite nice that uh, they set it up with flywheels. Because mm-hmm. I don't think we'd seen those before on Skins, have we? Even though we said he had a pair. Yeah. Uh, see him on flywheels, fair establish that Freud had them. And then, no, they're really eyes. But maybe that's what we were on flywheels as well. Maybe he took a prisoner's <laughs> eyes and was just wearing them because he's a horrible person who deserves to be eaten foot first. <laughs> uh, here's a question. Do we do we think they actually are functioning eyes? Or do we think it's just that Sunday's been conditioned to think that they are? Can Sunder genuinely not see without them? Why can't he see with them? What kind of... Like, for Cybertronian eyes, they just seem weird. Yeah, they're so, like, just shiny blue baubles, right? There's, yeah. no, there's nothing complicated in them at all. Uh, uh, yeah, good point. I think... Also, because, like, 
what he can't see without his eyes, but then how do Cybertronians can see in car mode? They must have optical sensors which mm-hmm. don't look like eyes. He does have a massive radar dish on his head as well, which I would have thought useful <laughs> for something at least. <laughs> <laughs> Many suspect for, for, for Tar reveal. Uh, yeah, which was sort of what we were expecting of it, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Since he started not saying the guy's name, we knew it was going to be Tarn. Is he? Has he got a different Ultimo, uh body design here? Slightly. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I noticed was that he's got his fusion cannons on each arm rather than two on one arm. He's got. You can't see it here, but he's got the drapes from the yes, heads uh, at the back. That's what I was, uh, his knees are slightly different, I think. Yeah, it's subtle. Yeah, I like that sort of thing. I like the idea that just, you know, they would change stuff over time. It's, it's interesting. What makes more the chess is very like War Within Optimus Prime's chess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with those fires. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, I'm not sure if that, if that was a slightly different design or I just hadn't noticed that before. But I, No, I just hadn't noticed it before. <laughs> so, so, yeah. He was a friend of Optimus Prime at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a nice touch that Tan has the mask on even before his turn. Yes, obviously there's something going on there. And, uh, do we think the DJD existed at this point? Uh, yeah, I, I presume that it could go either way. He could be, you know, Tan to be, or you know, Tan as a title doesn't exist yet. But I, I think it's certain that he's not. He's not yet Tan. I certainly don't think he's Tan. I'm leaning towards this uh, being pre-DJD because I think. James Roberts has said that he ha- he's always been Tarn. He's the original Tarn. Okay. He definitely fight quite hard for that name, I'm sure. <laughs> Especially since he wants to call he he, com- he he fancies himself naming planets New Tarn. Yeah, well, I misread that. Gee, before uh, Barry corrected me before we started recording, I assumed from that that he was already called Tarn and he was naming the planet after himself. Ah. But no, she said no. That's because it's Megatron's home city. He'd give glory to Megatron before himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, 49. Uh, 49, then. 49. Okay, still Sakamoto. Oh, I was going to say the cover. Yeah. As uh, promotes the fact that it won the best continuing series and outstanding writer awards from Comics Alliance. And I've, I kind of lost track but at the end of the year. I think it was three awards in total. To put it in context, those three awards increases the grand total of awards won by Transformers comic to three. So this, uh, this award-winning comic there. Uh, with uh, Tailgate defending Thunderclash. Uh, Tarn is addicted to transformation, and we see his tank mode. Well, he's he's transformed. That was he might not be addicted to transformation. Well, in more than meets the eye, that's, uh, that's a pretty it's a pretty big movement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, uh, Skids is fix- fixing the showers. Oh, I mean the transporter. <laughs> the perfectly innocent teleport device. And uh, being sort of quite smug about it again. Yeah, Because uh, uh, Park says that is a smile he's doing when he goes back into his cell. Mm. So at this point, it looks like it's going to be about collaboration in prison camps. And uh, that's going to be Skin's dark secret, but he, uh, he ended up being effect- an effective helper to sending people to uh, slave labour. Yeah, uh, it's like a Thunder Commando. Which uh, pisses Quark off a bit, actually. So it, originally he was a bit impressed by Skin's, now he's finding him quite annoying and stupid. It's odd. Do, do people not know about Decepticon war crimes at this point? Because he is being very trusting 
he's not expecting the end of the issue to happen. Well, maybe because he knows Roller. Yeah. I could be... Or whoever Tarn is. Yeah. <laughs> because of that, I wonder what goes on under that mask of his comment later. I'm not convinced that Skids is doing this with uh, Roller in mind. But I do think that this Skids and... Um, the skids at the remaining light with no memories is a relatively just happy chap. I think he's just very upbeat and uh, optimistic. So I think he's just trying to see the best in the situation mm. and make the most of it and trying to help people. And this is how he figures he's going to do that. I guess, yeah, he's, he's expecting a betrayal, but he didn't expect a betrayal on that scale. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, you wouldn't really... I guess even if you knew that Decepticons do tend to mass execute people. Oh, also, I guess I guess um, Decepticon war crimes is one thing, but it see Tan takes pains to point out at the end that the need for MOTs is kind of a new drive, and it's probably mm. his drive. I think uh, the function of this is that we're setting up Tan as this sort of you know distillation of Megatron's philosophies and orders, uh, mm-hmm. so that Megatron can be opposed to him now that he's had his. Uh, uh, road to Damascus moment. Mm-hmm. I guess there's no reason to think that what Skids is doing is uh, killing people on a mass scale. Because unlike real-life concentration camps, which were used just to get rid of people in a hurry, there's no equivalent here. There's no reason to think the Decepticons would need some kind of like big furnace to do that in secret. Mm. So yeah, it's very possible that Skids is just, you know, he can't think of anything worse that he could be doing than what is already being done yeah because they, they're just they're fixed on the on the slave labor for the colonies which the decepticons are setting up and if they wanted them dead they could have just killed them so you know why build a you know a big oven to do it in so yeah he doesn't have the context so he's no reason to suspect anything worse is going on yeah that's a very good point so do, do we think they are genuinely sending any slave labor to these colonies or is it that that's entirely <laughs> Uh, completed us a lie. Uh, there isn't even a place called New Tarn. That's just a fiction for the prisoners to keep them. Again, I guess... Or uh, even some of the guards, because uh, they're uh, melting down living beings. Yeah, well, I would hope flywheels would, with his primal balls, would be slightly upset about that. So maybe even some of the guards don't know what's really going on. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, yeah, the deception could be could be higher level. I can imagine Tarn wanting just to to, to just impress Megatron and uh, keep everybody else out the loop. Yeah, I mean, maybe they do have a teleporter, but, uh, you know, don't use that one. Or or sometimes it is a teleporter, sometimes it's a furnace. I mean, you can could, you could do a lot of these. The tech exists that you can have all that. If you've got a teleporter, you can pretty much have anything. So they do have a teleporter because they use it to get skins out of the end. Yeah. So oh, yeah, good point. A short range, anyway. We don't send that many people anywhere else. <laughs> But it makes that thing like, uh, you know, uh, oh, Quark, you're putting him in with Quark? Is he, isn't he been transferred? Like, I guess transferred is just the kind of the, the euphemism for melted. So, and then, well, there's a bit where uh, Sunder gets out of his cell. Yeah. And uh, does something terrible to the two characters we've never seen before. Which yeah. I bet they are not ones who survive. They would have created new characters. That's that scene. They're the ones whose brain modules got crushed. <laughs> oh, I hope they do survive. I, I really like their designs. Yeah, they're neat. They look very to- toyetic as well. They're kind of like a uh, a mismatch of a couple of things I nearly recognise. Hmm. Is that Armada Prime's gun? 
that uh, was on his combat deck or his trailer. To me, it looked like um, Generations Megatron's fusion cannon. That well, could be actually, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. They are, they 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 also look fraternal in that kind of sideswipe, sunstreak away without uh, with, yeah. without the actually same colors that. as well. Yeah, even though they don't really have that much in common. I think. Mm. I guess I don't can't figure out what they transform it. I guess with the windscreen, they transform into some sort of car. But uh, yeah, I like them. I I I, I think. Um, be nice to have them as background guards now. I really love the Cyclonus in the most energon that the Elgate's got on another throwback to 12. Yeah, it's really sweet. Uh, that brings us into what was a controversial moment in the issue. We get, uh, every time we talk about Marvel VTI, something seems to be causing a controversy to somebody, uh, which is the treatment of Getaway, which I badly misunderstood this scene the first time I read it, which isn't the fault of writing. I just assumed that it was Mortulus who done this to Getaway. Uh, because I I don't like Getaway, I didn't think about it again for the rest of the issue, even though it explains that Mortulus is doing different things to people. So I, I didn't get it was the Autobot who did this to Getaway until I looked at the wiki page afterwards and read it. We're talking about Sunday, yeah? We say Mortulus. Oh, Sunday, yeah. Well, he, he wants to be mortuous, and I, res- I respect his religious beliefs. <laughs> Fair enough, okay. Yeah, well, that's certainly the way you're led. You're led to believe that, like, oh, no, what's happened to Getaway? He's been, you know, stuck in that cell. Uh, he would have been eaten. But, yeah, I, I mean, my reaction to this was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, why don't they do that to everyone? That makes perfect sense. These robot beings, you would just cut their arms off. The Getaway panel made me very happy. Because I just I wanted something horrible to happen to him, and something horrible has happened to him. I felt very pleased about that. Well, uh, um, I, think, I think James Roberts has said in his sort of placating of people, he was happy, but uh, get away is in any pain. It's not like torturing a human because I, I said, uh, for people who haven't who aren't on Twitter or Tumblr, uh, the complaint about this issue was the abuse of Getaway as a prisoner by swinging him up like that without his arms and legs or mouth. Uh, and they thought that was an unheroic thing for the Autobots to do. It's been well established now that the Autobots, when they get prisoners, they like to take their brains out and put them in a box. So I'm not sure why people were surprised by this, because like, taking apart of the body is a standard... It's what Fortress Maximus likes to do to his prisoners. It, it's a common-sense thing, I thought, to stop the escapologists escaping yeah and i guess it was done surgically uh humanely i mean it's far worse that that they did nema surgery on tailgate surely that's we know that that's a horrific thing for transformers and that you know that that relates that, that would be a horrific thing for for us too and i know this is set up as like whoa that's pretty extreme but yeah I mean, you would wouldn't you wouldn't you do that yeah the the removal of the arms and the legs i can get behind but why the voice box um, Who is he going to talk to in an isolated cell? <laughs> it's presented a certain way to shock, and then if you think about it, you can say, well, actually, no, nah, it's all right. You know, they've, they've done it in a sensible way, and it's got logic behind it. But I still think there is a certain element of uh, sadism to it. Yeah, because I guess the reason why this isn't standard practice for the bots is that Optimus Prime maybe has more of a say. I don't think Optimus would do this. I don't know. Optimus is pretty dodgy. When he had Megatron, he had him suspended, but he didn't cut his arms or legs off and didn't remove his voice box. Presumably, 
uh, the Octopus was behind the take of the brain modules out thing on Garrus dying. Sparks. But that's so, that, 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 I would say gray modules every time. So oh, it's right, sparks. But um, but that, yeah. that that was considered in in Last Stand of the Wreckers that contextualised that and saying that's a mercy. Like you feel euphoric. Mm-hmm. So since then they've established the spark. That's what I was saying gray module because since then they've established the Rosam's Trinity thing of three things are connected. Uh, the spark, the transformation, cog, and the brain module. So presumably removing one, if all three are an essential element of a Transformers soul or personality or whatever that can't be a good thing it's not... oh it's subspace it's fine RC had it done she's fine now uh, yeah <laughs> it's meant to put you in some kind of state as you say um, if you do it carefully and um, surgically you can remove it without uh, hurting the individual and it's still you know it's still a, a certain time type of uh, extreme punishment and it was, wasn't it? RC was considered of the most dangerous prisoners on Garrus Nine, so it wasn't applied to just anybody. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was like threat level nine, or mm-hmm. if you were repentant, and then you could get set, set out your sentence in just kind of a sort of nothing, like a yeah, sort of a, an, an instant. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can totally. I, they haven't spark extracted anyone before on the last light. I guess they don't have that technology. Probably no, maybe nobody has that technology. If Tarantulas made it in mm-hmm. secret and it was only on Garrus Nine. Yeah. Uh, I, I bet Fortress Maximus is about extracting sparks all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you look a bit dodgy. Take that out. I, I, I do think this makes Brainstorm look like he really did get off lightning. <laughs> he, yeah, if they would want to remove his arm and legs because he's a dangerous escapologist, Brainstorm. Storm a dangerous scientist who can yeah, build maybe remove his brain. Reinvent a wrench into a super wrench in just a few tweaks. They, they shouldn't be letting him walk about with technology. <laughs> he shouldn't be strung up as well. As if he had anything built into his legs. It was... Yeah, on, on the threat level, I think Brainstorm certainly <laughs> a lot more dangerous than Getaway could potentially be. But again, it's a motivation thing. Brainstorm you know, his motivation was gone. He's not going to do anything else. Well, unless he finds out what happened to Quark in the next storyline. <laughs> probably already knows, though. I mean, he did his research on Quark, and he's probably quite thorough about that sort of thing. And there's a chance that he actually makes a cameo in this issue. Uh? uh Brainstorm um, in the flashbacks of... Yeah, in the scene where Skids is talking to Tarn in his office... It could be that that's Brainstorm flying out the window. Oh, and then Tarn goes to check the window. Looks like Brainstorm, yeah. Uh, we've seen in uh, in the previous issue there's quite a lot of ships flying overhead for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could just be another Decepticon ship. But I think the design is pretty similar. It could be um, Misfire. Do you reckon? Oh, also, that panel, uh, I like how uh, Tarn's decanter has a Decepticon logo <laughs> on the top of it. There's a man who is committed to Brandy. He's a man of fine tastes, isn't he? Well, also, I, I, I don't know. I, something I picked up from his prisoners, he's got strung up in his office. They look at the, the one we see looks quite a bit like Megatron. I, I don't know if he's collecting Megatron's old bodies or if he's like singling out uh, prisoners who look a bit like Megatron so he can, I don't know, diddle them. Right. At one in the morning last night, I was looking at this, as you do, at one o'clock in the morning, and I had the, a revelation where I thought this was Terminus. Oh! So I got terribly excited about this, and I went straight to the wiki, only to be told that it's not Terminus. 
So that was a bit disappointing. But it does look very similar. Even the legs are missing in the same way. So I was I was kind of sad that that wasn't what I thought it was. Well, but I mean, yeah. the, wiki, the wiki could be wrong. Well, the point that wiki makes is that the design is similar but not the same. And oh, wiki specifically <laughs> says that yeah. it is. It is definitely not different. Different artists, but I think. Yeah, it would have been, if there was a point to be made here about this potentially being terms, I think would have been a bit, a bit more careful about how he was drawn. Uh, but yeah, what is up with that? That is a very odd thing to have hanging on your wall. I, I suppose it's meant to be an analogy to Getaway as well, where ah. some of your limbs missing. Oh, yes. the Otter's as bad as Tarn, perhaps. Perhaps the people who complained, and it's made James Roberts write like a 5,000-word essay. Explaining his motivation and how Getaway was really okay. Maybe they were right. Sakamoto's art that I haven't been a huge fan of, um, partly because of his facial expressions, I think is actually much better in this issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can. This, this issue isn't as lush as the last one. I can, mm. He was probably uh, up against the deadline. But, um, yeah. but yeah, that thing about the facial expressions, he's definitely um, fixed that. So we get very different mouths with all kinds of expressions. So uh, he's uh, he's doing it for me. I feel. I love this panel of Freud <laughs> turning inside out. It's so weird. <laughs> we're a little. I do we think he survived? Will he be back? <laughs> oh, I'm sure he'll be back. We're gonna have to swing him up as well next getaway now, just for this for consistency. <laughs> he'll he'll miss his arms a lot more. <laughs> yeah, more of them to love. I like I like how he has a wheel for a, cu- a cuff as well. That's just brilliantly bizarre. Uh, who's Sunder? That is a wheel, isn't it, on his wrist? Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like Sakamoto designs. They're very playful. Did he do the designs for the new characters in this, or would Alex Milne have done those? Uh... Cool question. Uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming the second motto, but I don't really have any evidence for that. I meant Thunderclash! Hey! Thunderclash, we need to get rid of him as soon as possible in every circumstance. Uh, well, be even... Yeah, okay. Uh, Thunderclash gets up, he shoots some people. We've got uh, Scepter. Yeah, who looks like uh, Blackout from the films, doesn't he? Uh, Turbines going on. Uh, so I also I, I I like this design too. I I, I think um, I think that's a cool it's a cool gimmick, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and it's drawn very well. So he's wearing his b- dead friend's body. Is this a big suit? He's, a, he's, he's actually quite like movie officer, isn't he? And jet fire. Yep, I'll just wear any old corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Only he's mildly less of a psychopath than movie officer. <laughs> Uh, Thunderclash, yes, rips away. It's very careful to show you his brain module surviving, though, Thunderclash. Uh, yeah, very careful to make sure that Thunderclash will be back. And I love Megatron's what the fuck face as well. <laughs> <laughs> what, am I, what is going on here? I never used to do that to people. <laughs> uh, turns out wrong ships are fully contr- remote controllable. And we talk about um, the cruelty of, of uh, taking out Getaway's voice box, but Rung goes straight for the eyes. <laughs> well, they are removable and potentially not real, so. Yeah. But this scene really didn't work for me. This was far too silly. A Megatron 
No, the um, the flying yeah. ships, the model ships. Uh, are any of those famous spaceships? They usually are. There's usually a couple in there that are based on something. At least when Mill is rolling it, but none of them really. Hmm. There's one with like three prongs and a circular rear end that looks a bit like the Liberator from Blake Seven. But other than that, I can't. I don't really recognise any of them. The Megatron scene. Slightly odd in that this hasn't really been a story about Megatron. Uh, he was a plot device in issue 47. Hmm. And he's not really been in the other two issues. Suddenly the climax is all about him. I don't think that felt like he came a bit out of nowhere. It's a story. It's a great scene. I like how he firmly renounced his violence. Yeah, but I get, you know, this is... It's it's fun to and convenient to parcel them up into story arcs and all, but this this is tying into the Necrobot story. It's just the last thing we saw Megatron do this was crushing Tailgate's head, so he's basically renounced violence. In... Well, again, I, don't, I mean, it, it, it would have felt uh, disingenuous for Megatron to renounce, see his big field of poppies and say, oh, jeez, well, got to rethink things. I think the fact that there's been this time of... He's had time to think... He's been he's he's been in the background for a bit, just sort of mulling things over. He's forced like his response to kill is so reliable that people use it against him. And then he suddenly finds himself confronted by this big Autobot logo, willing to crush him. And he's just like, "Okay, I've done my thinking. I I I I I think it makes sense to me." I agree 100% with what you're saying. It's not abrupt. It's been building up throughout the season and. I think um, Megatron's reliance on violence has been highlighted in different settings. I, I wrote something about this at the end of Elegant Chaos, about how Megatron uses violence and how he always perceives it as justified as defense. Everything he does on a personal level, on a philosophical level, on his uh, Decepticon policies relies on him excusing violence as a form of defense. Um, he in elegant chaos when he attacks uh, perceptor he he's lost all track of uh, what appropriate violence is doesn't understand that you know punching someone in the face in the particular setting is not a reasonable reaction to have so yeah there's definitely been build up to this with the uh, necrobot issue being perhaps the uh, the turning point and uh, whether it's a good decision or not it's a different matter. And maybe we should... Yeah, let's get back to that. Yeah, but in that case, then we're into the... Uh, the epilogues. Well, I know, I suppose Tailgate. It's Super Tailgate. Tailgate, yeah. Tailgate. Yeah. It's brilliant here. I don't know. People have been divided about this. I'm loving it. He's brilliant. He's like, pick up the blinking gun, man. Yeah, didn't uh, James Roberts say on Twitter at one point there, there was something in this issue that was a place of substitute for somebody saying fuck? I uh, think that uh, was earlier. There was uh, a, it's the bit where he's punching the um, uh, getaway cell. Well, I guess now, now we know that he wasn't swearing there, that he was just saying blinking. That's very true. <laughs> Uh, but I, I love it. I love his reaction. I love it. It's just like, oh, for the love of, just picks up the rod pod and just crushes under with it. It's just, it's amazing. Oh, Pissed off his rod going to be. We're going to have to get him another one. Now. <laughs> There's another shuttle right behind it. He could have used that. It's like, no, I'm deliberately using a rod pod. <laughs> Well, he uses a head to grow a with. It's symbolic. 
Oh. <laughs> I love how some of uh, Scepter's feet are sticking out from under the rod pod afterwards, like he's a witch <laughs> as well. And I think the, the cartooniness here of uh, Sakamoto's art works really well as well. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, as I say, I'm not too sold on the plot point of of uh, Tailgate getting super strength, but it's it's totally in character of like Tailgate doesn't quite understand violence, really. Maybe uh, he'll become the villain for the, uh, the dying <laughs> of Light Story, and Megatron will have to go evil again to stop him and his <laughs> evil superpower ways. Yeah, so I guess it is, it is appropriate that it is this kind of like mm. is this quite childlike approach of just throwing a ball yeah and this um juxtaposition between him and megatron there's someone who's um you know a, an expert on violence and someone who has never had to rely on violence in his life and um all the way since issue 29 james roberts has wanted to play delgate and megatron off each other um, in the um, in the script to 29, he explains the cover to 29, which no longer makes sense, uh, um, which is a cover of Megatron and Telgate. Oh, yes, uh, they're also about badges. Right. Yeah. So and he says how that whole issue was going to play um, on the reactions of other people on Megatron's Autobot badge versus Telgate's Autobot badge. Um, so the two characters were always going to be played against each other in that sense. And I guess the theme carries on, uh, or at least he's reused some of it um, here. Which, Actually, uh, you were uh, saying about uh, doing things to Telgate whilst he's unconscious, newer surgery in him, they, they slapped the auto brand on him whilst he was unconscious as well. That's true. <laughs> That's it, you're, you're an automat now, so if you like it or not. But he wanted that. He studied hard for it. Oh, and, uh, I, I guess... Uh, uh, Sunder can see without his eyes because he reacts with surprise when uh, Tailgate picks oh. up uh, oh. so Ah, blind surprise lines coming off his face as well, so it doesn't be that surprising to him. It's a real condition, uh, blind sight. It's very interesting. Where people, even uh, even if they uh, yeah have non-functioning eyes, as long as the optic nerves, bit a bit of the retinas preserved, they can still navigate around objects and catch balls and things. Mm. As he does here. <laughs> Great catch. Uh, and then is what may be my favourite part of the issue, Rung finally being struck off properly. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I quite like they avoid the cliche where, uh, you know, oh, don't worry, we're we're all your friends. We'll help you out and sit with you. And he just goes, no, no, I actually am quite an awful psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like his... his um... You know, again, it makes total sense. Like, would you say that to a pain, uh, a brain surgeon or uh, an engineer? Like, no, no, you wouldn't. You'd only say that to someone who you think didn't really do a very good job anyway, or his entire craft was kind of uh, a joke. Where does that leave Rang then? Because Rang's role in story has always been he's a psychiatrist. He's done very little else. So what 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 does that mean for him now as a character? Oh, maybe we're gonna get into what it is he turns into and then kill him. What I find interesting is that Rung hands Megatron a completely blank data page when he's staring at very intently as he's reading it, so there's nothing on there. Uh, so promises message when he, he comes in, he's like, that's, that's odd. Is this a test? <laughs> Here's my resignation. It doesn't say anything. Well, I was hoping you were going to talk me out of it. There's, there's <laughs> too much text in that panel. Uh, it's a good choice. And then Rodimus, of course, who hasn't done much in any of these issues, actually. I think... Uh, Part of this, he's only in the scene where he explains 
the capturing getaways, and he has to see only other bit he's been in. So he gets a groan at Megatron's joke. Yeah, I like the joke. I like the Ultra Magnus bit. And he's also got a blank panel. Yeah, yeah read this. It doesn't say anything. What are you all trying to do to me? <laughs> and uh, the, the big renouncement. Uh, yeah, so how, how do we feel about this? I think it'll last about two issues at most. <laughs> Just for the, the tragedy of when he has to punch Tarn in the face or something like that. It'll be Tarn he does something violent against next, definitely, I would think. I have no doubt it's sincere, but yeah, it is, it is an extreme reaction, but I think that's appropriate for what he's been through in the last few weeks. And um, I think, yeah, he's going to have to figure out where his boundaries are now. Um, I think I really, I mean, it really makes me just, it, it, you know, that kind of, it, it makes you warm to Megatron in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, that, yeah, he's put some thought into this and he wants to be better. I just think that, he, you know, he's, he's oversimplifying things. We know he's got something going on with that one surviving briefcase. Uh, there, could, there could be some duplicity here going on with him. There's uh, some plan, you reckon? I, mean, I suppose it depends what he's trying to do with a briefcase. Uh, maybe he's trying to do something nice with it. I think he's been visiting the Functionist universe. Could be. Could, could be anything, really. It's just a McGuffin. <laughs> or he's been uh, ch- chatting with Terminus. Do you reckon? I'm not convinced he can do much with a suitcase as is. Yeah, that's true. It has been set up that it's only part of a device. Mm. And he's not a scientist or anything like that. Unless he's in a team up with Brainstorm, who is still a Decepticon, technically. It's... He does have his own portal. True. Oh, yeah. oh my god, it just oh, struck me. Chest. We've got we've got a guy who can turn people inside out, and we've got a guy who inside of him is full of portals. Yeah. Uh-huh. I wonder. I, also, I guess there's a bit of bit of uh, uh, something's couched in this language. I will never hurt another living creature, but what it, we we're still a bit unsure of what Megatron defines as living. Here's what I think. Hmm. That's nice. It's nice to say that you renounce violence when you can't fight anybody. That's a bit like saying you are gonna have dry January when you're too broke to buy any alcohol. So Megatron can't hurt anyone at the moment. So that's a very easy decision to make. Second of all, he isn't personally going to hurt anybody, but he still has 200 people aboard a ship who are going to hurt other people, and he needs to tell them to hurt other people. So how does that work exactly? Mm. Yeah, it should be very hard for him to say captain after this, really, if he was serious, because they get you to fights all the time, and he would have to... Unless Rodimus is going to handle all the violence, and he's going to be like, well, I'm not technically ordering anybody to do anything. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Then, you know, whatever the consequences, you have 200 people to look after. Whatever the consequences, really. Have you thought this through very well? Mm. And about his sincerity, I'm not sold. Up to the Necrobot issue, he, you know, he was just trying to um, get away with it. And I'm not sure that he has had a genuine change of heart. I think he's just still trying to manipulate the system and influence judgment. At least I don't think I've seen anything to make me believe that he has genuinely made this decision to go back by... 
reversing uh, everything he's done because that's not what he's doing. He's not atoning for anything. Mm. He's not no, trying to help anyone. He's mm. not. He's not doing it. He's not actively doing anything to balance all the the bad he's done in his life. He's just saying, "Oh, I renounce violence now. You know, I'm going to be a good person again, so I can go back to who I used to be." Mm. Uh, I suppose you know, with the Sunder thing. He didn't know Tailgate was going to do that with Rod Pod, so it was really either he had to pick up a gun or he was going to be killed there and then by the big monster man coming towards him. So that's pretty. If he's not going to pick up a gun in that situation where he's not expecting anybody else to rescue him, that might suggest it's. He's still got his gun on his back, which I've never really thought about before. He's got his sort of. They took his fusion cannon off him, but left his, uh, his primary weapon. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be. I think you go away that this is all some massive. I mean, I'm not expecting Megatron to still be an Autobot by the end of season two. I would. I'm assuming one way or the other, it will. There'll be a big. Either he'll go back to being a Decepticon and go, haha, which of course is going to happen eventually at some point anyway. Even if he's signed off for another ten years, something like that. Sooner or later, that will happen. Or whether. He heroically sacrifices himself or be it in a way that means he could come back later on, sort of a thing. Uh, obviously, by doing something to kill the DJD that also seems to kill him, or him renouncing the Autobot course, so he won't be aboard at Salt Season 3, is my guess. Hmm. I, I fully expect him to be there till the end. Or, if not till the end, Season three, maybe. I just think this isn't enough of a. It's too easy. Uh, I don't think he's gotten there yet. Well, he doesn't believe in atonement. He doesn't really believe he did. He still believes he was justified. He just now wants to create. Yeah, he, he wants to be a new person or an old person. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think atonement is something he really even thinks about. I don't think he's allowed himself to ever think about that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. This isn't enough. I mean, of course, you know, <laughs> just, uh, if Mussolini had said at his hanging, at his firing squad, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm you know, is I'm, he, so, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I think his, his, um, his real reason for this is he wants to be remembered differently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he's going to have to do something pretty damn spectacular in the next six issues to raise everyone's memories of what he's done so far. And when I say I don't think this is enough, I think this is more what I'm thinking. Uh, it's not going to be enough for him to get where he wants to be. No. But I think he's going to go after Tarn. In some kind of peaceful way. Yeah, I think he's going <laughs> to try and arrest him. I, I'm going <laughs> so I'm going to go find the biggest smash I can and hope tailgates will do the violence for me well yeah I mean if you want to be yeah you know, again like for a legacy thing maybe that's what he'll do he'll talk him out of it yeah he'll, he'll turn all Decepticons around well actually make yeah. Autobots of them all I mean that that fits with with your um with your read on it I think if he believes that he could do that and Megatron's the kind of guy who probably does have quite a, a sense of his abilities Oh, an inflated sense of his abilities. Mm-hmm. I think, he did, yeah. Did shockwave as well, though. He managed to make him good just by talking to him with Optimus. <laughs> hey, go on, you don't want to destroy all the space and time. They still had to bloody shoot him in the end, though, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I say he'll convert them and then he'll kill them. Uh, 
But if, if he is genuinely without any violence, I'm sure Getaway will be really pleased to hear about that move and put his arms back on and go, sorry, we're not, we don't do things like that anymore. We're, we're nice. <laughs> uh, actually, what you were saying about the faces earlier, uh, I think this bottom panel, uh, sort of half page, where Megatron's talking about what's presumably quite a big passionate speech of his, I don't think the face there quite works. It's sort of like, he looks fairly blandly expression maybe that's fair to leave it deliberate to make it ambiguous no i think I you're right say, I that's think, I, the face doesn't quite work i really like the way sakamoto draws megatron but yeah you're right that bottle pan that bottom panel of him of his mouth yeah it's just like trapezoid teeth yeah there isn't really much expression there i think he's gone too much to make it on model rather than to uh make it expression uh give it an mm. expression yeah it's good it's good lines um yeah, it works as a still it doesn't work so much as a storytelling device, I guess. Yeah, because without the without the the text there, you would have no idea what he was feeling. He's got his right. his angry eyes. I mean, it's it's kind of tricky. Like those that helmet design of Megatron gives him angry eyes all the time, and his the way his the lines of his face give him stern. You know, it, it's it's he's harder to work with really in his way than like Whirl. Hmm. I don't know, Mill does a pretty good job of doing, you know, shocked Megatron, surprised Megatron, fed up Megatron, Megatron facepalming every two seconds. Yeah, um, but you, you you do have to, except with the facepalm, you have to go off model a bit for that. You have to change the lines on his face. You have to hide his angry eyes, um, his, his, his eyebrows, yeah. helmet eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, I think Mill does a great job. But uh, he does it by compromising on the model, which is good, I think. Artists, I think uh, the Transformers. Transformers as a whole is a bit too hung up on on character models. Mm. So it's got this animation background to it, and in fact, because you've got the toy there, and the toy is a is often a live you know a three D character model that you have that the audience has in their homes. Uh, of course, then we come with a second epilogue mm. to uh, the sort of thing Megatron used to do before he announced violence in the <laughs> old days. <laughs> All the violence. Well, and Otar <laughs> makes it clear that this is entirely Skid's fault. Well, yeah, he's he's the Jew who built the showers at the German the Nazi concentration camps, basically. So, I mean, obviously, said so we've had things like smelty pools before. So that's this should have been uh, surprising as it round. I'm guessing we all knew once this page, you got into this page, that it was where it was heading. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it is a real. Once those doors close, mm-hmm. there's that kind of queasy inevitability to it all. Yeah. And still, uh, even when you can tell what's going on, the reason for it is still quite shocking. Yeah, nice little twist in the tail there. Mm. Cause that, and that, that, that's, that's classic smelting pool. That was always the thing. Like They were melting them down to make more Decepticons. Oh, okay. That's not something I knew of. No, no, yeah. That's, that's... Marvel, yeah, the, the first American story where they went back to Cybertron, it turns out that Lord Straxus has this big, massive smelting pool he's throwing everybody into, uh, slapping people about and going, mercy is not the spence here, only death. Yeah, and it, you know, it, has, it does a little dance around to say that, okay, no, I've thought about this, this isn't just about, you know, we've got the sparks, uh, we need the special Cybertronium to, uh, to build the, the new guys out of. Do we think MTOs are aware of this? Decepticon MTOs? Do we think they know where they come from? Oh, good question. 
Probably not. At least Snare and whoever else that is, no. Yeah. The Soros is an MTO. Who's an MTO? Play, uh, the Soros is, so that could be oh. playing in story. Oh, oh nice. The Soros is made of bits of quark. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, nice catch there. Am I seeing this right? Are there, uh, in the sort of towards the bottom left, but not extreme bottom left. Uh, are two of those melty people on the last page? Are they trying to hug each other? Oh, I think you're right. I hadn't noticed that. Bottom left. No! Oh, it's not such a visceral. It's almost as far as Alex Mill didn't draw this, actually, because that would have been wrong. It's up his street, but it's just glorious. Uh, Perverse stuff. As is the fact, they save skins even though they don't really need him anymore. So everyone's gonna. Yeah, I mean that's sadism, isn't it? <laughs> right. So, you know that flashback in what issue was it? Now the last DJD issue we had, thirty-nine, when uh, Tan is trying to kill himself, and he flashes back to important things in his life. He flashes back to Megatron patting him on the shoulder and telling him what a good lad he's being. Flashes back to him being built and uh, skids his face. Mm. What we've seen so far doesn't explain to me why Tarn would be flashing back to skids his face. No, there's more. And, uh, that's right. And obviously, we don't know how skids manages to get out of here. Yeah, well, he's done this to break skids. I guess what does he do to him then? He builds him back up as his mm. buddy. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's more going to be going on there, definitely. Uh, I, mean, I suppose they could have a purpose for skins as an outlier. I mean, there's certainly a lot of it. There's snare will take over repairing things, and if you think about it, just, skins would be better at that anyway. I don't expect skids were helping helping them out again after this, though. Willingly. I don't know, lockset syndrome. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. We don't, yeah, we don't know how skids got out of it. I mean, mm. obviously, if he goes back to being a prisoner. He's not, you know, he's, he's, his time is very limited while they're making these MTOs. He's going to become staff. I also like how when the furnace lights up, the inside looks like a disco. It's Bam, just quite cheerful. They've got the music going on, they've got the bright lights. I mean, we've never heard the Imperium Suite. Maybe it's a bit closer to staying alive than uh, Mozart's Requiem. <laughs> a bit of Abba, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, this three uh, this sort of loose trilogy of forty-seven mm-hmm. to forty-nine. How uh, how does it stand up on a reread? I'm happy with it. I think it's got some weak points, some of which I can forgive more than others. Uh, I think it has a lot of strong points. Sakamoto's art takes a lot out of it for me, unfortunately. Although it does improve, I did struggle with it in forty-eight, particularly in the. Um, Rung skids scene where they're building the spaceships. I like that it does work as a trilogy. There's throwbacks and there's links between the three issues, even though it feels like one issue and then a two-parter. There are links there. I am really frustrated that at the end of this, Telgate and Cyclonus still haven't spoken to each other. You've had this built up, you know, the, the whole season between Cyclonus and, uh, and Tailgate, you know, are they, aren't they, what's going on there? And you get to the end of this and they still haven't had the talk. It's like, oh, come on. So, yeah, that was uh, a bit frustrating for me. I am happy with the reveal of what Skids' missing memories were. I, I'm not clear whether at the end of this uh, Skids will remember epilogue 2. It's implied that he probably won't, 
they say chrome domes and something. something chrome dome does suppress the memories and the panels stop being rounded. I'm still not convinced that Skids knows for certain who Tartan is here. Yeah, that, that thing about under the mask. Mm. Uh, was it that line? It's like, our commandant is a contrary fellow or something like that as well. He says... He's a strange uh, fellow. Who knows what goes on behind yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's more coming. I, I hope there's more coming. I mean, we've got six issues of the DJD coming up. Hmm. Um, hopefully there's uh, there's more to get out of this. As the final issue before we get to the season finale, I'm hyped. I think Megatron's very untimely change of heart here is, um, is making me anxious. <laughs> Um, is worrying me a lot. I don't know what's going to happen anymore. I look forward to seeing Tailgate beat more people up because I just think it's really funny. And, um, yeah. Issue 47, despite the fact that then we we had the uh, sort of lack of follow-up, is uh, one of the most powerful issues we've had to date. It's one of my favourite issues. I loved World in it, maybe more than I loved anyone else in it. It's unfortunate that Will won't remember what he's done, but I will. I'll always remember Will. Oh. <laughs> you'll, you'll always be in my heart now. Oh. Do, do you think this will reset Will's character development? He's losing those memories when you go back to progressing quite a bit over the season in terms of uh, being a bit more of a team guy. And mm. uh, uh, They'll pa- tell him. He'll, he'll, I mean, the, all that stuff is public knowledge. Uh, he'll catch up. What we know is what uh, Telgate knew, and Telgate won't have known about Will. Oh. In fact, if they'd have, if, yeah, if they'd have found out about Will, he probably would have been arrested as well. Mm. Oh, but yeah, good point. See, I would have thought. Uh, surely Cyclonus would tell him? But he doesn't but Cyclonus know didn't know either. Oh, Cyclonus didn't know that, that Will... Oh, unless, yeah, yeah, the last thing Cyclonus knew was so. Will. Yeah, unless oh. Atomizer and Getaway did, and they yeah. believed him. Yes. But it seems that they're not too interested in confessions from them just yet. Um, well, you don't want to know where they stuck Atomizer's arrow if you think uh, <laughs> what we did to get away was bad. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can. I can see how. Yeah. Will would never get to understand his redemption, so that might keep his character intact. Again. Yeah, I think uh, Robert has said uh, the Christmas stories after this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And it seems quite. Warm-hearted of Christmas story well. <laughs> so maybe he has kept some of his character growth. Mm. Uh, what did you think of it, then, Tom? Uh, I thought 47 was about perfect. 48 and 49, I like the skids Tarn story, but um, didn't care for the dumb psychiatry, and they should have killed Cyclonus. And I don't really oh, know what... Marion's face! <laughs> oh, I, I don't know what's going on with the tailgate uh, strength Superman thing, but I think it's dumb. Uh for me, then, 47, I would agree. I think it's a very good issue, and it's a sign of how good it is, and it still stands up in spite of uh, the poor fallout. Uh, 48 to 49, I think part of the problem is, uh, we didn't really touch on, is that they've done the things talking them on the Lost Lights before, uh, a few times now. It's like, uh, I think they didn't do it just with the darkness and there not being anybody around just about gets away with it, but it is uh, a well-worn uh, we need a plot uh, I'm just making, somebody breaks onto the ship and goes around killing everybody and we have to deal with it. 
No, because that's, that's at least the third time we've done that, isn't it? Because we did it with the, the, the Sparky term, we did it with Overlord. Uh, uh, so it's the alternate Lost Light as well. So maybe, maybe not do a bottle show set on the ship again for a while, at least with that plot. So I, I thought the way the Cyclonus thing was handled was done quite poorly. And if they'll need to do something with Cyclonus now to really justify keeping him alive, uh, something only he could do as well. Uh, I think the thing with Rung in issue six, eventually they justified not killing Rung because they needed to pay off to Elegant Chaos with him being in the past. Okay, that works. That's You did it. That was worth keeping him alive for. Cyclonus needs something like that, and maybe not after such a long gap as well, to say this is why he's still in this book, and it can't just be that to keep Tailgate happy. But we'll see when the next issue comes out, which could be any time this year, the way things are going. Does anybody have any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say how impressive the art was on all these. Um, it's not Milne, but his um, his deputies really are right up there with him, and uh, some real standout moments for the colouring as well. Mm, absolutely. Uh, well, before we go, I will. Say, I'm not sure how quickly this will end up, but if it ends up uh, within a week, anybody in the Manchester area next Saturday, uh, James Roberts is doing a sign-in next Saturday of time recording, being the 27th is doing a sign-in in uh, the Travelling Man comic shop, and I will be there. So if you are going as well and you see me come up, ask me what Tom and Marion are like in real life, and I will tell you. Normally we say what we're going to record next, but we that's never been what we end up recording next. So we might as well not bother with that this time. All things go out of recording order and have a release. Uh, so instead, uh, future podcasts will definitely cover the next more than it meets the eye arc because it's a long one we might break it up sins of the wreckers we'll be doing the first half of that before that resumes at some point and all these exciting things you want to look forward to dear listener where you have downloaded this from there is a link to a discussion thread at tf archive where you can leave your thoughts and opinions i am on twitter at inflatable dalek marion is on twitter as well with her handle being uh mortar and Tom Hart doesn't do Twitter. Join us on our next exciting episode. And all of you, uh, you know, go uh, hang yourselves up from the ceiling uh, with a gag in your mouth. In tribute to either Getaway or the guy who played Bill and Kill Bill. One of the other. So what do you prefer? See you all next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>